When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Business Aspirin, pain relief for business. Clint Junell has managed a restoration company in Dallas since 2008 and is one of the top drying experts in his region. Clint is also the co-founder of JobDocs, a software developed to help his team manage their overwhelming volume of projects. On the podcast, Clint brings together business managers and leaders to share with you how they have overcome their business pains and how you can too. And now, here's your host, Clint Junell. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Business Aspirin. I'm your host, Clint Janelle, and today I have with me uh, a friend of mine here locally, uh, a compadre, a, a competitor, a friend um, that is uh, here in the DFW market with me. And so I have Spencer Suggs with Restore Now on. Spencer, how are you, man? Doing great. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on the podcast, man. I'm excited to be able to, to chat with you and um, you've got a unique story and you're doing some interesting things and you're jumping off in a bunch of entrepreneurial directions and we want to chat about it, right? Like uh, the goal is that we can provide our listeners with some value on something that we've either learned without mis- making a mistake on, or we've screwed up and learned from that. Hopefully as they're jumping into the entrepreneurial vein, they don't have to, you know, they can learn from what we've done and they can uh, benefit from listening to this podcast. And I know you have some things to offer. Uh, just because I, I see your story and, you know, we've had a chance to have a couple of lunches together and know what's going on. So tell us about Spencer. Yeah. So uh, let me start kind of just a high level overview. You know, like like most people that end up in the entrepreneurial pursuits, I, you know, got out of high school and, and didn't have a, a specific set uh, direction on where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. Uh, what I knew that I wanted to do was uh, just to get out and experience the world, right? You know, and as you, you start that journey and you get to go and you very quickly realize that uh, if you're going to do the eight to five grind, you're going to be stuck doing the eight to five grind. Um, and there's a lot of different yeah. ways that <laughs> that that can look. And it's not always bad. You know, uh, there's, there's a time and place for the eight to five and, and there's discipline in that. I have to uh, put my own self to a calendar so I can have good discipline now that I am an actual entrepreneur and not just a small business owner. Uh, and I think there's a differentiating factor in there. We may be getting that in later, but um, anyway, so I started my first business in the carpet cleaning realm and uh, just kind of one of those lower bar entry uh, jobs and, and work types that you can get into and quickly realized though, you know, anything I do, I, I just have a propensity to want to try to do my best at it. Um, I want to be a professional. I want to be viewed um, as someone whose uh, skills are, are, you know, worth what I want to charge uh, to do, to make good money for my own self and my own uh, pursuits. And so anyways, I uh, did well with that, grew it pretty uh, decently sized in the DFW Metroplex, got a bunch of really great contracts going with it. But uh, like any good entrepreneur, I uh, screwed up massively just in the ways of uh, trying to manage people and, and understand all the, you know, the responsibilities that go into maintaining equipment and and having good, you know, standard operating procedures and just a lot of the things that I knew to do personally, but I didn't know I should not expect employees to know to do those things. 
Um, so anyways, ended up getting to a point where I was just so fed up and frustrated with that. I, I basically, uh, broke up my relationship with a business partner I had on that, uh, closed the whole entire thing down. Didn't think to sell it. I don't know what, <laughs> what I was, what I was doing, but nonetheless, uh, you know, moved into, uh, the genius idea to move from there was to go into the rug cleaning world. So I started cleaning rugs, uh, built one of the largest rug specific, uh, facilities here in the DFW Metroplex called simply rug cleaning. Um, I've had a lot of fun with that. It's actually been a very interesting category and niche to be in. And from there, it just kind of spun out into the other directions, right? So you end up in the carpet cleaning world and in the rug cleaning world, you are always getting these calls from, you know, customers. Hey, I've got water all over my house. Can you come pick up my rugs? It's like, okay, well, can also probably help you with the water too, right? And uh, obviously, so we started expanding into that, went and took all the courses and certifications and, and did things the right way. Uh, we really wanted to be able to take it to the next level. Um, so we consulted with several uh, home building and restoration companies um, just to kind of get an idea of what their systems look like. And uh, of course, we expanded into the restoration world. Learned a few lessons there, mostly just uh, communication lessons, actually, of all things like the running the restoration world is serious and, and uh, you know, as you know, as as much liability as there is wrapped up in the actual work itself, if you're not doing a good job, it's I think at the end of the day, it's just a client relationship management, just like any good company that really makes or breaks you uh, as a business. Um, and so anyways, we've grown through all those things and uh, we've been on a good trajectory for uh, thank you, Texas, for the good hard freezes that uh, land us a whole bunch of good work every year or two here and uh so we've been just pushing forward from there it's been a lot of fun yeah well it's awesome dude uh and i, and I like hearing a little bit of the story so you made a couple of mentions of things that one both kind of re- revolve around communicating uh one is you said early on you had struggles trying to navigate managing employees um on on the carpet cleaning business and then communicating with customers to help them understand expectations and all those things that are kind of a requirement. So what were the hiccups? Like what happened? What was going on? What was the pain that you were experiencing in business that led to recognizing that you had a communication issue? Yeah. So the biggest one is, you know, self-assessment, you know, a lot of times I think one of the biggest that I run into anyways, in the, in the conversations I've had, one of the biggest uh, hangups that I, I see from other entrepreneurs is we have all these brilliant ideas and all of this, uh, these good things happening, but they're stuck in the head, right? Like they're not even translated to a computer. They're just literally in your head like, Oh, well, what's your policy if this happens? Uh, let me think for a minute. Well, the right thing to do would be this. So that's our policy, right? Uh, versus, you know, Hey, uh, that's a great question. Let's go to page 45 of the uh, manual and Oh, there it is. That's our, that's our policy. That's our procedure. Um, so some of it was quite literally just doing the corporate mumbo jumbo and having actual documentation and other parts of it, I think really boiled down to setting the right expectations. So on the employee side, that looks like doing a much better job of onboarding the actual employees. Uh, so through training programs and through follow-ups, uh, more specifically with like literally getting into a calendar and putting in times that we would go back through and review content to review policy or different things like this, um, just giving our guys an opportunity to be very well equipped. Um, so they weren't acting off the cuff either, right? I, I had this sort of ace hardware approach to everything before, which is just, oh, well, you know, if we goof up, just give the customer a $5 gift card and tell them to have a good good day, right? <laughs> Definitely not a great way to run a business, especially at scale. Uh, that's fine when you're just one or two people. That's not going to work at scale. 
So anyways, uh, which they're a great corporation now, whole nother side, side step. They just did that on a better concept than I did. Um, but then on the client side as well, right? So, you know, one of the biggest issues I noticed was, especially in the water loss industry, you know, the customer's head is like going crazy because all this emergency just happened in their house or whatever it is. And, you know, so here I am and I show up and they're going to have all these questions for me. Of course they are, um, but they're going to be drinking from a fire hose while they're also standing in water in their house. Right. Um, and so it's sort of this dual issue where you're the hero when you show up on, on day one, but by day three or five, it's like, you know, there's a little standoffishness. Right. And sometimes that's the nature of the client, depending on what kind of uh, industry of work they're in. Uh, but sometimes that's just because we didn't do a good enough job of communicating stuff, right? And so uh, what I built for our company to communicate better with clients is what I call the, the IKEA instructions of customers, uh, customer relationship. And so basically what it does is kind of gives the customer the little, uh, you know, almost like no words way of saying, hey, here's what this is going to look like uh, and here's what to expect, right? And these are the phases. So you can know what's going to go on down here. And if you have questions on that, you can certainly reference it, but let's focus on staying in this first, you know, phase of work and let's work through all these parts first, and then we can move to the next phase. So well, I think, I think that's brilliant, right? Because you're accurate that when somebody's in most cases, their most valuable asset is in disarray as a result of a fire or a water loss or whatever's taking place. They're anxious, they're panicky. They don't know the questions they need to ask yet, but they know that they have questions Mm -hmm. And when you can take control of that communication early and provide them value at some level, and I think that's great for our listeners to hear, if you can help them see what's going to take place in progression, then they can follow along with that and go, okay, this is what I should be looking for. This is what I should expect. Mm -hmm. The problem with that that occurs is if you don't follow that progression yourself mm -hmm. and you yeah. told them this is what's going to happen. So guys, I 100% agree with Spencer in regard to the fact that you have to communicate with your client what's going to take place. You also have to then make sure that takes place because if you don't make that take place and you've promised them, that's what's going to happen. Then it creates its own set of problems. Right. Mm -hmm. And we experienced that some, you know, in, in building this whole software program where we were like, Hey, we're going to make the communication better with the client. And then we say, Hey, the carpet's going to be installed on Tuesday. And then it's mm -hmm. not, and it's Wednesday. And we haven't made a journal note about where that was or whatever's taking place. And that results in now you can't just make a journal note. Now you have to drive to the customer's house and have a conversation with them. It's like, just yep. do what, make sure that that's going to happen or communicate clearly with them what's mm -hmm. going to take place from that point forward. Because that really is the only thing they have, especially, God forbid, it's an environment where they're removed from their home. Then they're really mm -hmm. anxious about what's yeah. going on and they expect you to be there 24 hours a day, seven days a week until it's back to normal. Yeah. And it's a difficult process for them to understand and navigate. And so I'm 100% on that, man. I think that's brilliant. Um, I love that you've put something together that, you know, kind of helps you do that. And I would say to all of our listeners that are in any kind of service industry whatsoever, whether it's restoration, HVAC, plumbing, whatever you're doing, um, even auto mechanics, right? Like set some expectations with your customers about what's going to take place. Like it's interesting just, you know, in our facility here, there's a paintless net repair company and there are, like we just had that, I mean, you're here, right? So we just recently had a pretty good hailstorm not too long ago. There's probably a hundred cars sitting down over here that are all circled and marked up and they've been sitting here for months, mm -hmm. you know? And, and so for me, I'd be like, look, man, what's the story on my car? Like how long is mm -hmm. this going to take? Why do you have to have my car the whole time? Can, can you not like mark it up and then meet with the adjuster and then get it back to me and I could drive it around while we're waiting for this stuff to happen? Like where do we stand? And so 
communication, I think, is vital. And I, I applaud you on that. One of the other things you said, which kind of triggered a thought in my head, is expecting your employees to just kind of know how things are supposed to work. And for us, one of the things that kind of floated in my head was like pulling a trailer, pulling and backing a trailer. I mean, I grew up doing that. Like we were moving yeah. boats and we were moving four wheelers and dirt bikes and you know, campers and all that stuff. And we just constantly were pulling trailers and moving stuff, but people don't know how to do that all the time. Mm-hmm. And for me, I had, I had this expectation in my head that like, that's just something people know how to do. Yep. And in reality, <laughs> it is not. And, and they don't know how to do that. And they don't know how to manage your equipment and care for your equipment and all the things that take place inside a restoration space. And I think you hit perfectly on a point of that saying, you know, I need to teach these guys that work. So what, what were some examples of some of those and, and how did you implement a process for ensuring that your staff could in fact know the things that you know intuitively? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And it is funny, the life skill component of, cause I grew up in East Texas. So for me, again, the trailer thing was just a normal thing. But then if you really think back on it, like your granddad or dad or whoever it was, your uncle that taught you how to back the trailer in the first place, like that was several different times. Like that was like an hour of lessons that you learned in that time in that space. Right. And so intuitively it's not a thing that you might think to somebody to be trained on, but that absolutely has to be like, that's a training day. Right. Um, So let me go kind of from the top and I had some thoughts as well. So, you know, you were talking about the delivering on the expectations with the customer. If we give them this set of expectations that they should expect from us and we can set the tone for what that should look like. One of the things I think I harp on the most right now is we live in the digital realm of AI and automations and like all these great things. And they're amazing, but most people don't know how to like 99% of people don't know how to use them. AI is not going to take over the world. People using AI is going to take over the world. Right. And so I think one of the things that I, I key in on is automations work two ways, right? We, a lot of times we put a lot of emphasis on the customer experience of sending out like an automated text or an automated email. Hey, we're on the way, or, you know, here's what those expectations are. We can automate those things to death. And in some ways that kind of pulls away the personal touch to it. Um, but there's even some things you can do to combat that probably using AI, but <laughs> the automation of the, the reason I say two way is those automations that you're programming for your customers you need to be programming those in for your employees as well, right? If we forget to give the customer the call about the carpet or whatever it is, it's because it never popped up on someone's calendar or it didn't give them a notification to do so. Now, the alternative to that is your employees just being lazy or hungover or whatever his issue is. <laughs> but aside from the human error component, automations can solve a lot of those problems, not just from the customer expectation side, but from your employees delivering on the expectation side as well. Um, so that's a big one. We've been implementing that. Um, we started very, very basic, very rudimentary with that, right? So we kind of mapped out, hey, you know, on a category one loss, uh, generally speaking, what should that look like? What timeline should that follow? And then we kind of gave our customer automations uh, built in that. And then we kind of put our our, uh, our employee automations built in that as well. Um, and that took a lot of finagling, right? Like people were, people would get stuff out of order or they would be like, why are you giving me this information or, you know, whatever it might be. And so there's a learning curve to that for sure. Absolutely. But, but doing it is better than not doing it at all. And especially because that conversation, when you have the customer like, hey, we're always seeking to improve our communication skills with our customer. I'm so sorry you got that out of order. And then they're like blown away. I'm like, wow, like that's yeah. that's really yeah. intuitive. Like you guys actually care. That's amazing. Thanks, you know? 
and then on the expectation side of things, you know, it's like the basic skill sets, right? So a lot of times uh, in this particular industry, in the restoration industry, you just think like, okay, um, I teach the guy how to like cut a straight line and drywall. And then I send him to get his IICRC certification and he's good to go. Right. Um, he's not, not even close. Right. Like that, that actually is the same conversation as the reason why I tell adjusters, you don't know anything just because you've been through an IICRC class. Like that's great. Exactly. That's cute. I, I'm glad for you that that's a step in the right direction, but practically speaking, you wouldn't really know how to do my job unless you literally come and work in the trenches with me and do my job. And it's not just a one day deal either. Right. Because every single flood is unique to that home and those conditions and whatever might have been pre-existing before that even happened. Right. So, you know, the expectation side, the rule that we follow, we call it, make it easier to do right than to do wrong. Okay. And so the, the simplest way is the easiest way. And it, at the end of the day, if you, you make things overcomplicated, you make expectations overcomplicated, or you, you just create a system where there's too many variables to get wrong, you're going to fail. You're going to get it wrong. Um, you know, and, and sometimes that the detriment to that is, you know, maybe somebody that's a smaller company can offer a better service than you that is a little more personalized or tailor-made. Um, but practically speaking, I build companies for scale. I don't build them for me being the guy who's going to be doing the job every single day for the rest of my life. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that that leads this conversation to is as entrepreneurs, that entrepreneurial spirit is there is some reason I don't want to be in that eight to five grind somewhere. I want to be doing something kind of on my own and I have a skill set of some kind. So I know how to do this. I'm going to go out and I'm going to venture out into the world and make this a company and do my thing. And so guys like us, we start that direction with this disdain for the corporate world and corporate policies at some level. Right. And that's what most of our listeners are going to have. It's like, God, I don't like the corporate rules. I tried to fight to get away from those rules. And I've had to say multiple times on the podcast, like I recognize that, Oh, <laughs> that's why those rules exist. That's why they have these processes. That's why they've implemented these strategies is because you can't rely on somebody always coming to you and go, what's the answer to the question? Yeah. What are we supposed to do here? And if you have these policies and processes in place, then you solve a lot of that very early. And so when you're saying that, um, I, I hope everybody recognizes the reality is if you want to be a mom and pop shop and it's going to be you and one other person, you don't have to implement these processes. But my thought would be if you're trying to listen to a podcast on how you solve business pain points, you have some idea of being able to grow and develop and move a little bit further forward. And so doing that early is vital to being able to actually be successful because it's much harder down the road to try to flip and change and implement these processes and create an employee handbook and create a, a protocol regarding your vehicles and your tools and um, customer engagements and that sort of thing. And so I think you're spot on in regards to what you're saying. Um, communicating early with your customers, communicating early with your employees. Who are we? What do we do? What does this lead to? How do we treat whatever? And I think that's like, I know a lot of the guys that'll hear this are still trying to figure out how they're going to get to a million dollars in revenue. And it seems daunting to be doing both the work side of it and implementing processes because they don't have time to do that. They don't have enough staff to do it. They don't have no ways to make it work. And um, we've got some resources we can help with some of that in regard to like, like there's documentation out there. I've got employee handbooks, like, and I'm happy to let people just copy that stuff, right? Copy it, read it, 
tweak it, Make you know, tweaks. Yeah. find a, you know, the, the find button and replace and fine, do that, right? That we can make those things available. There's things that are available to people to kind of speed that process up. And, um, you know, we want to be helpful from that perspective. But um, what, what would you say in regard to your thought on, like you closed one company down completely because you didn't have it? Mm-hmm. Talk to me about this process like when should when do you think it should happen should it be immediate should it be before you take on work should it be after a certain thing like yes yeah, so what's a, your playbook there's a component to getting in the trenches and just doing the work and figuring it out right um and even to that extent like you know i'm, I'm that guy you know when i was like hey i need a policy for xyz i need a cell phone policy because i keep getting like these young kids that like want to come on my job sites and be texting and like I need to be able to point to something and say, dude, you can't do that here. Um, not just because I just said so, but because literally that's written into your employee contract, right? Um, so I was the guy. They went and Googled, uh, you know, cell phone policy from corporate structure and got the generic form and, you know, command find and changed to me, right? Inherently, though, the issue wasn't at that point then having policy. The issue then at that point is enforcing policy and actually doing something about it. So first and foremost, where would I start? Yeah, you got to get in the trenches. I mean, practically speaking, I'm a big proponent of literally going and working for someone else that's already doing the work, right? I know that's, you know, probably not the best thing that other entrepreneurs will want to hear is like, oh man, I could create my own competition. Well, yes and no, because you're going to create your own competition no matter what. If you hire somebody who's awesome, which is what you should be trying to hire for. Um, and it's not a bad thing, right? There's plenty of room in this, in any territory for all of us to have work. Um, and, and you'd rather have your work be competition. That's like you and I, where I can not only call on you if I'm under, you know, underwater on a project that underwater, uh, that I need some help on, or it's too big, or I don't have a resource for a, a pack out company that's available or whatever it might be. Just having those people that you can depend on and create a relationship with and keep that's way more valuable than being worried about having an employee that you train them so good, they're going to run off and start their own company. Um, that being said though, you know, where would I start? You're getting in the trenches, you're, you're doing the work, you're figuring the things out. Right. And, and again, we live in an age of AI. I mean, it blew my mind how even technology in Aptiam and in the whole entrepreneur journey, of course, you know this, but for the listeners, I also own a technology company. Um, that's a whole nother side venture. We'll, we can talk about that another time, but getting into that field and getting to that realm, like I was blown away by how much I don't know, even just about an iPhone. Right. Um, you know, I was on a job site one day and, uh, one of the contractors that was there, he was in the stage and he's sitting there and he kept talking to himself. And I'm like, Oh gosh, I hired a loony bin. Right. Like what did, what did I do? Right. Like his drywall looks fantastic, but he's talking to himself like a lot. Um, and so, you know, later on in the conversation, I kept noticing he would like tap his chest every time I'd start talking to him. And I was like, okay, this is really weird. What's, what is going on? Um, but we had the conversation later on. He's like, yeah, he's like, every time that I'm setting up my job site, I literally talk myself through the job of what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And then my wife goes in and types up the, you know, basically the protocol for what he was doing. And this is a drywall guy, right? Like most drywall guys I know, they're just in it because they learned it by osmosis and they'll only do it for a certain period of time, or maybe they'll grow it to just have a crew. And that's just like kind of the extent of it. And this guy was like, he was blowing me away. He's like, no, man, I want to be like the biggest drywall company in Texas, right? How do you do that? Well, you do that with process and procedures and, and that becomes a scalability awesome. factor, right? And so 
you know, that being in the trenches is not really a great excuse anymore for not being able to create your own process and procedures. Sure. With something as simple as literally just sitting there and recording himself. Okay, step one, I walk in and I put my buckets, you know, next to the door, uh, or put a tarp out first, and I put my buckets on top of them so I don't create a mess. And then I bring my towels in and I set up my paper strip and yada, yada. He just like all the little things that he was doing. And of course, it helps to have, you know, somebody, your wife or a friend or brother or sister, whatever, anybody that can come alongside you in that season of life and, and just kind of leverage that to, to help you put those things into actual words. But doing it, though, right, it's it's that commitment to say, like, hey, I'm not just an entrepreneur because I can do something right at that point. I mentioned earlier, I would argue you're just a small business owner. You're not an entrepreneur at all. You're doing an entrepreneurial pursuit, but you're still working in the business and not on the business. And so for that reason, at this time, unfortunately, you're not an entrepreneur. You are a small business owner. And that's good. We all got to start there. But in that pursuit, once you go to that next level and now you're a business owner and your days are spent managing relationships and uh, finding ways to expand your business rather than literally being the guy, slapping the drywall on, sanding it, doing the next thing, that's when you become the entrepreneur. And all of that starts at the baseline of, hey, I'm in here working, I'm documenting what I'm doing. And I'm turning it into an actual manual where this can be duplicated. Because if I can't replicate myself, how in the world could I possibly expect my business to go any further than just me being the guy doing the work or maybe one or two others that I've taught by osmosis? I think that's great, man. And I, I love hearing that. Um, so let's talk about a couple of things because we're, we're close to what our supposed to be our threshold is. Yep. You've had a failure, obviously, and a couple of successes. What is the biggest business pain you've experienced and how did you get around it or how did you solve it or what did you do about it? All right. So biggest pain in business, I would have to say that probably boils down to, and I've been through some painful stuff over the years. Uh, sure. you, you learn, you learn from the hardest things, right? I would probably say dealing with business partners is, is the hardest thing that I've had to do over the years. Um, and that doesn't mean I've had great business partners, fantastic business partners, and we've had really good, uh, for the most part, open lines of communication. What I would say is for me and my particular journey is because there is a big temptation, right, to, to have a business partner. But there's also a big temptation to say, well, I just want to keep the pie to myself. Right. So you have to find that balance and you really have to do your betting. What I would say in the in the business partner realm and kind of what I did to overcome that and to be safe moving forward with that is one, everybody gets a background check and everybody gets a private detective to come and look through their stuff, myself included. Um, and that might sound a little ridiculous, especially when you're like in the very you know first stages of bootstrapping things together and you're like, all right, I got you know extra three grand that I can either spend on Google ads or I can get you know my business partner vetted. I just want to spend it on ads so we can get this thing moving and let's all make some money and get down the road. The problem in lies when money starts becoming in abundance, things start getting, you know, stressful, right? Or, or a little more, there's a lot of tug and pull about who's doing what and what they deserve and what they should be earning, right? But what's even worse than that is when you go from making all that money and you have all those initial successes and then there's the headbutting and then neither one of you is working as hard. And then all of a sudden now the strain is, well, there's not enough money. <laughs> now we're now we're fighting even more. So what I would say is business partners are the hardest thing I've had to overcome uh, in the space. But a good set of 
very well outlined expectations, that communication side, right? And a very good set of basically like bylaws and, and fallbacks, right? So have a good solid contract uh, with whoever you choose to do business with. Because even if you don't ever take on an official business partner, you're going to take on people who are strategic business partners, right? Whether that be your subcontractors or uh, your sure. vendor that's supplying something for you that you you know, basically buy all of your gift bags from or whatever it is that you're getting from them, right? If you are buying something and you're depending almost solely on that vendor for that thing, that's a business partner, right? Whether it be strategic business partner, or like contractual business partner, it's a business partner. And so having a very clear outline of what you should do in just about any scenario you can think of, you know, life, death, disability, uh, or, you know, COVID-19 now that we have that under our belts, Right when you can outline these things as much as possible and have something to point back to and say, okay, well, we both agree that if this happened, this is how we would handle it, or this is how we would treat it. It gives you a lot better footing to stand on. And it takes it out of the realm of, well, I believe this is the right thing, or you believe that's the right thing to do to this is what we agreed on. So, yep. That's my biggest one. <laughs> okay. So that's your biggest thing. And I think that's valid, right? Like it's working with anyone is difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, having someone that has authority like you do makes it even more difficult. So I agree, like set some stuff out make sure you have some processes really defined and, and delineate what are expectations, what happens if, if shit hits the fan, what do we do? And I think that's yep. important. Okay. So then conversely, what's the best thing you've done and had happen in business? What was your best decision? Best decision. Goodness, getting into restoration. It's great. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Meeting me is the best thing could happen to you. There we go. Uh, yeah, best decision. You know, I, I would probably boil that down to just being willing to take the things on that scare you. I think, you know, that's not necessarily one specific decision in my business, but I think collectively over the years, I wouldn't be sitting where I am or have the freedom and flexibility that I do have if I hadn't just pulled the trigger on the thing that was like, you know, what if it goes wrong or or what if it this, what if it that? Of course, you know, there were some actions I took to try to mitigate against that um, to be careful. But at the end of the day, you know, there's not a lot of things about entrepreneurship where you get to really dip your toe in and see if it's for you. You either commit to doing it and you know full well that the ramifications of that are going to be hard to shut, even just shutting down a carpet cleaning business, for example. I mean, I can't even tell you the pressure I had from all the, the corporate contracts I had when I shut that down, like people were like notably angry at me, right? Like Spencer, like we depended on you to be our carpet cleaning guy for the next three years. Now I've got to go through this work of trying to vet a company and this, that, and the other, da, da, da. I was like, well, I'm so sorry. Like, what did you do before me? Right. <laughs> but I didn't realize at that time, like how important it was for them to have that box checked and to not have to worry about that anymore, you know? And so being willing to, to jump in and just, go for that thing that's that scares the ever living bejesus out of you but that you know um you know deep down would be financially and uh you know rewarding to you that's what it was for me no i love it man uh and and i i hear what you're saying right it's nothing like if it was easy to do this then everybody would be doing this it's not easy it's difficult it's hard it's a challenge to try to figure out how you're going to get the next job to come in and and, and pay the bills and pay your vendors and pay your employees and keep the trucks running and keep the overhead where it needs to be and all the things, especially in restoration, where you are having a fight with insurance carriers about getting paid because they think you've charged, you know, $40,000 too much when it was, you know, well, you should have been able to do this for $2. Why can't you do this for $2? Mm-hmm. 
At the same time, you're not saying be reckless. And I appreciate you saying that. Like we do hard things as an entrepreneur, we do hard things. And um, I know personally, you also serve and do some stuff for hard things too. Um, some of the, the organizations that you support and, and we do the same thing, right? It's let's go out, let's do hard things. Let's serve others. Let's put people before ourselves. Uh, let's see how it comes back to us that way. And I think that's great. And um, I applaud you for being willing to step out there and, and take the risks on some of these things and see how it plays out. And uh, I also applaud that you're meticulous enough to not like some of it's going to fail, right? Some of it doesn't work the way we want, but you're not being reckless to the point of, completely jeopardizing everything you have. And I think our listeners need to pay attention to that too, is like nobody here is saying, Hey man, go all in, put all your chips on the table on this one thing and just hope that it works. No, vet that stuff out first and find out whether or not it's a smart decision. Um, even if it's going to be hard, even if it's risky, don't just be reckless about what you're doing. And I think that's spectacular. I mean, I like, I think we've gotten some good nuggets out of this man. And I really appreciate it. Is there something, if there's, is there a statement that, I haven't asked you a question about, is there something that you just go, uh, people really need to hear this if they're trying to jump off and they're trying to deal with hitting that next milestone or getting a business off the ground. Any one last piece of advice? I think we did actually touch on it and it's just the statement to make it easier to do right than to do wrong. Um, You know, I was actually on a, on a forum this morning and I was, I was discussing, um, I went on a reality TV show a little while back, uh, entrepreneurial competition, if you will. And brilliant to be in a place just filled with other entrepreneurs. Like, I can't tell you like how good it felt to be around other people who just got it. We just spoke the same language. Like there was like, it wasn't like I had to explain myself to be to somebody who's just a a normal eight to five, you know, corporate worker. Right. I wasn't selling them on a dream. I was just having conversations with them, but um, they had posted on this forum, you know, about how uh, they had gotten stiffed on some money um, and contractually it was owed to them. And it was this ordeal. And, um, and I've had this happen to me in business many times over, you know, it's just going to be, it is what it is. There's some, there's some people out there that really will just surprise you. Um, But anyways, um, she was really pent up and worried about, you know, should I go after this person? I mean, it's like to the tune of $60,000 is a big deal to Should I just, should I just slam them online so that other people can know not to use their services and da-da-da. I was like, well, you're going to take a shot to your brand. You're going to take a shot to your personal surf self. You potentially set yourself up for a lawsuit, but none all those things aside, I was like, you know, what was funny about it is I posted, I said, uh, Confucius once said, uh, don't use a cannon to kill a mosquito, right? So the the, the biggest and, and most broadest thing, like when you take things and overcomplicate them, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. You're never going to get off the ground. You're, you're wasting too much effort on something, right? And so if you'll go about the business approach from the uh, way of make it easier to do right than to do wrong, always do your best just to get that communication part of it up front first, the rest of the stuff really will work itself out. And so from that point, you can really just go and do the thing that you know that you're really good at doing. And I think that's excellent, man. And uh, I'm excited about this podcast. I appreciate having you on. Um, you've got some other stuff in the pipeline that maybe we circle back to another one and we I would let love people know about part of your technology thing that you've got going because there's a lot of value, especially for these guys that are service industry, you know, wanting to jump off. They could utilize what you're doing on the technology side and we can have some more conversations about that as well. And I'd appreciate having you on. Everybody, thank you so much for being with us today on Business Aspirin. And uh, Spencer, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your friendship. And I look forward to other conversations. Thanks for having me. Have a good man. Take care. 
This has been a Business Aspirin, pain relief for business podcast. If you're a business owner trying to overcome your business pains, follow us on Apple Podcasts or visit our website for more information, job-docs.com.